Hey everybody, this is Petey from the Spinner Rack, and today I'm talking about the first line. Yes, Marvel's Lost Generation. And um, this is a, a mini-series, a 12-part mini-series that was done by John Byrne, Roger Stern, and Al Milgram, right? So basically, when this thing first came out, I read about it in um, Comic Shop News right here, this blurb. Once was what once was lost is now found, and um, let's we'll see if we can do this. I'm gonna try to give you this. Got my glasses on. Let's see what it says. When the idea of Marvel Time was first introduced, some twenty years or more ago, something called the Seven Year Rule was in rule was in place. It had been seven years since the Fantastic Four went up in their rocket, and it would always be seven years. People who, came, people who came later, people who came to Marvel later, and fans who learned the rule misunderstood the concept and saw it, saw it as some kind of sliding scale. If it was seven years then, it must be ten years by now. And a great deal of confusion was set in, especially when there was one or two, one or two more people who wanted the whole thing to happen in real time. However, whether or not the FF went up in seven years or ten years, it became increasingly obvious that the gulf of time between their first flight and the last appearance of Captain America had grown from a half a dozen years. It was when Stanley and Jack, Jack Kirby crafted the Fantastic Four in issue one to something close to, to a half a century. This raised the question, what was going on in that chunk of time? When it was only five, six years, it was easy enough to think there might be a pause in the spontaneous generation of super folks. But 40 years, 50 years, so I suggested, excuse me, so I suggested a series that would fill that gap with elastic time that would stretch itself to accommodate the movement of Marvel time. Right? So there you go. You got, that's the idea of how this series would work that it would be an elastic timeline that would kind of start with definite times and have definite demarcations. But as it goes along, you wouldn't know where, what would happen, right? So for now, there's a lot of issues. We're gonna have to go from the beginning, right? But uh, I'm gonna do the first three and see where we get, right? We're gonna try that, because this is a very involved series, right? And what I call, so I got through all of the, the main stuff in this series. I'm going to now just give you my overview. Now, when I was about 9 or 10, I would buy X-Men back issues. And yes, I'm going to do this. I go in and I found X-Men 132 and I was like, wowed. I found the reprints issues of the X-Men, like 70-something um, like that were I didn't know I realized when I bought it was a reprint, but I never read the the issue with the juggernaut and it had the full story in the book. So I was just like wowed with it. So it was one of those things where um this book, or I bring that up, <laughs> I almost lost my train of thought was as it went along, it was the equivalent of buying back issues. Right? Because at this point as a comic buy a comic buyer, I'm going for the talent, or the character, right? So in this case, I'm initially going for the talent and hoping there'll be something character-wise 
for me to latch on to, right? So when the first issue comes, I'm gonna let's. I guess we should just start here. Let's start with the first issue. We're gonna be introduced to a lot of characters, and as it goes along, I'm gonna latch on to some characters. If the book is going well and done right, I'm gonna start latching on to characters, same like the X Men, right? Because I didn't know who Wolverine was. I knew the original X Men. And I started to latch on to Wolverine because he reminded me of Batman in the face, not in the character. And at the same time, you know, I'd fall for Storm. My name was Peter, so, you know, I connected with Colossus, that sort of thing. And, you know, ultimately I did like Nightcrawler. But it's like one of those things as you go along, you start to connect with the characters when they get a little more spotlight. And as this, that same thing happens in the series, right? So in the last bit, since I'm at the five minute mark, Roger Stern said, instead of doing it one through 12, he would have done 500, <laughs> 546, 329, had the numbers be all wild numbers as they went back and forth in time. So it would be like, actually like, um, I don't know how marketing, well, that would work marketing wise, but, um, you know, I think that would be the equivalent of a, a series like this, right? So it starts, and it's, this is at the end of the Lost Generation. The last, not really documented point in Marvel history. This is an undocumented period where we actually see the end of this generation, right? That's what the Watcher is saying, right? And then I had, while well, I'm here, you see that, and then... Here, I hope you can see it on your my phone. You can see the pencil version of this. And um, it's really nice, right? And they have the pencils of the next page, which introduce all the characters. So, right, we have Cassandra here. And... The watcher detects the temporal disparage. That's her. That is Cassandra. She's going back in time and she is going to find out what's been hidden from the earth for all these years. That there was a great war between the first line and the scrolls. The scrolls planned on invading the earth. And the first line stopped, was well, trying to stop them. This is where it feels like we're going to lose all this capital. We don't know what happened to these guys, right? I don't know if I can name all of these. Who can I give you as we go along, right? Uh, I know there's Nocturne, the Walkabout. Um, who else is here? I think there's Flatiron. Oxbow and um, and Pixie, Mr. Justice, I think that's Ryadak, that's um, Yeti, who's an inhuman, that's Gladfly, not sure who that is, this is, I think, Knight and Squire, um, the Black Fox, and Mako, at this point, she would become my favorite character, and Nightingale, right? That's as much as I can give you, right? That's as much as I can remember right offhand. Right? And she wants 
the watcher to try to stop it, but he's he can't interfere. But he can interfere. But then he says he hasn't interfered. At this point, the watcher hasn't interfered with anything. Right? And then we see a female scroll. And we're interested. You know, I did like I did like um Yeti also. Yeti's pretty cool. And he pops up and um he hurts he hurts um Cassandra, but Scroll is dead. And we meet Nightingale. Nightingale was also that was a character that I kinda like, but we lost her so quick. I was like, oh Lord. Is this how it's gonna happen? They literally gonna be like the cover we seen? That we lose all these guys, right? And that's when we introduced to Mako, right? So Mako's there. She's making short work of the um, of the scrolls. And this gets to if you know Burns' early work, the faces were pretty flat, and sometimes Burn goes to that in some of the characters you're creating, kind of go back to that sort of thing, and it comes to a cool effect. Sort of similar to how Marv is in uh, Sin City. Right? So we had Knight and Squire. They're against killing. Right? And then, of course, we see Knight die. We push a Squire to the limit. And then that even affects Mako, who seems to be all out for killing. Mako does something, but then um, she gets shuttled out, out into space. Right? And... Pixie, we see her. She's, he said, we're losing. He turns, she's able to use her. Pixie doesn't turn them into stone. We're at the same time. We see Oxbow. His arrow breaks through doors. And we see the Black Foxes. We're interested in the Black Fox, who's seemingly a Batman character. Laying aside that they were having fun with him and he wasn't up to snuff to take on these guys. Another ad, I think you've seen it before. Right? Then we have Gladfy. When she popped up, I was like, wow, this is this is a nice looking character. But we lose her really quick. Then Walkabout uh, was um, trying to figure this character out. Um, then inside of him... It's like, wow, they just this is the one of the rougher at this point, this is one of the rougher scroll stories outside of I think Skull Kill Crew where they were killing you know, the the going at people killing scrolls. We introduced a Nocturne, right? Who does something to Professor Carmati, who will learn who he is later. If you know your um your um Silver Age or Golden Age characters, you might know who it is, and we meet Mr. Justice, and he says, you have the Clippers belt on. And he gets killed. It's not working out. See Riot at Flatiron. Everybody's going. But then we got Effigy, and he has one last-ditch effort to blow the ship. Right? We have to make sure that the scrolls don't make it. And they see. Tell them traitor, right? Recrant. Recrant. Uh, and then we see Effigy turn back to a scroll. 
And then he says, the bad guy. And she's like, wait a second, he's a scroll, right? And she says, no, don't do that. He says, no, he has no choice. We see the skull armada destroyed. And then this later would lead to, no, it wouldn't lead to it, but we see all of the other people that were coming up soon. And I think this, I'm not sure, I'm going to have to look. I'm not sure if his looks into the future and past and alter universe was used in screens. But I don't know that anyone write me in and say that they were done. But then we introduced to um, Doctor Strange as he was practicing. So I think something in Steve Englehart's run said that um, Doctor Strange has been around for a very long time. So um, that's where they kind of inverted it in the movie that... Um, the ancient one was cheating time, right? So we got through the first issue, right? Fun. We lost everybody. So as I always sometimes think about it, like, well, why would I stay with this? We lost. We lost some characters I like. But we're going back in time. Maybe we'll meet some of them as we go, right? And we see Mr. Justice here, right? We got um. Walkabout, and then we have Pixie, this guy who we have no idea who he is, right? So, bang, this is where I was like, this is my new favorite character. <laughs> Walkabout, right? So, here's Walkabout. And we know that he's has a, um, well, we kind of know he has this inside of him, right? And here's Dr. Carmarty is talking to Walk the Robot. It's a robot and a man in the... In the, in the and some sort of being in there. Some sort of humanoid being. Right? And John Byrne and um, Roger Stern were co-plotting the book. And Roger Stern scripted it. Right? So we have this virus that's spreading on the thing. But at the same time, there's a ship that falls down. So there's two stories going on in this thing. Right? So they see this ship. And this guy finds this sort of screen. They talk about alien invasion, right? So he goes in there. This cut back to the regular story. Walkabout goes in. Sees all these people in these sort of containers. He's, um, at the same time, oh, Firefall. That's who that character is, right? And then we're introduced. They go to Chicago. Dr. Robert Payne, right? And she's watching something while she's in there. And she's watching something about the first line. And she's into them. And he's... So it's kind of... This is hinting... They don't tell you who this is, but you realize that this is the Black Fox, right? And this guy who went to the spaceship, he runs into this guy. He's bringing this thing about the scrolls. Now, the scrolls are going to be some part of this story as the story keeps going. They're always going to be a part of it, right? So this guy is talking about this um, alien invasion, right? And he gives the information on that to infiltrate Earth society. Did you hear that? Gets kicked out on the street. No one wants to believe. Now we know this is real, but um, no one else is believing this nonsense, right? 
So while this is happening, that um, whatever the virus is trying to take down, walk about, and he frees Firefly, or frees the rest of them. <clears throat> you find out it's Nocturne, right? We run into Mr. Justice again. So now he goes to the police, shows them the proof, not the Punisher, gets kicked out of the precinct, right? So they're almost being taken down, but at the same time, oh, wow. So Pixie's able to use her dust, and she's able to take out this stuff, right? So this dude, when getting turned down by everyone, runs into the thing. Oh, sorry, Ben Grimm as a college student. And he says, hey, might as well go see my friend up here. He'll be able to know what to do with it. And the guy comes in there, shows him the video, and he knows exactly what to do. Reed Richards knows exactly how to handle this. All right? So Nocturne has been frozen and turned into stone. He tries to take the mask off for some reason. And they put him into a container. What's left of him, right? And this actually, the building that they... They um, messed up was the Baxter building, right? So back in college, the thing was, when he was playing this, it was something he understood and no one else could. So unconsciously, he was understanding the other language and he was actually a... Um, he actually had amnesia and he took to his um, human memories. And here we have the headquarters of the first line right here, right? And they captured a, captured a scroll. He's a shapeshifter like effigy. Distant cousin, right? So he thinks there's always two of them. And the second one finds... Yeti, right? So this is how to connect these two connected, but we don't get to see. So the whole point was there's a ton of story in between here, right? Well, why, why um, Yeti left the team, right? But she was this one's partner, and he was injured in the flight, right? So now we got one more. You know, I like keeping these things at 25 minutes. And this is who Walkabout is, right? So we saw the insides. Now we have a Walkabout Professor Carmody story, right? And we already saw Coast of Maine, where they have the headquarters. Now you see, when you go back in time, it's not as developed as it was before, right? So you have someone trying to sneak in their headquarters, 
or someone's headquarters, right? And realizes it's Nick Fury, right? And we see an early stages walkabout, right? And in there, at the same time, we have Effigy, right? So they got Nick Fury, got Effigy, and then he shows he was once a, a Secretary of State. <laughs> Then at the same time, while they're doing their thing, the deviants are coming. Right? And they're going to attack. And you see some weird color stuff in here, like this outline of white around here. Those are the color separators. I think they were just trying to do this line here, but they somehow got all this. So Glennis Oliver doing color, but the color separators, the ones that had like the airbrush and all that nutty stuff, they kind of went overboard in this series. So they kind of ruined anything that Glennis Oliver was doing, right? So the deviants are attacking, and we find we finally see um, Cassandra again, right? And they're taking on these deviants. We see her now; she's a little wary. We have um, look at that's another great shot of um, of Yeti, right? And then we see Effigy, but she knows Effigy is a scroll. So much stuff is coming on in here in their head. All this is going on. They're slowly catching the... We find the girl who was in there. She, back in this sort of period of free love, possibly. They, she's a fan of the... Of the what's the name the black fox right and they're trying to talk her talk her out of it she leaps away they don't realize that they didn't know that she was a um, mutant and they both have clearly have some sort of powers and I don't think it's gonna be revealed so I can't say too much more about this see there's that white line again right so that's a color separator issue he hints that he has powers and something's happening to her she obviously is a child of this so she's possibly a mutant and she starts to change, right? And then we see, is it 
because all the stuff is going home. He said they need fusion, right? So she sees the moment where Professor Carmody, who's this homunculus, is goes into um, goes into walkabout, right? making short work he's trying to figure out why they're chasing after her she doesn't want to say but then this leads to a possibly big fight and yet he goes out of control he's just just killing these guys then Rapunzel is able to calm down down Yeti and then take out the rest of the guys. Right? The rest of the deviants break out. But then Oxbow makes a metal net. And then he kills the rest of the deviants. Alright. Chris Claremont returned to the X-Men. It wasn't for long. Sorry. Right. What's the name? Professor Kamadi has telepathy, right? And he talks about the scrolls, see what how Effigy's gonna react, right? So here, she's, uh, she's, she's upset about the scrolls, but she's trying to figure out she can trust them. So she breaks out again, right? And just a hint that Nick Fury is going to become part of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? And I mentioned the Yankee Clipper, right? So... And there we go. This is where I'm going to end it, right? Almost 30 minutes. We get introduced to the um, first line of some of their members. Um, ultimately, I think they might have worked out better if it was known as the first line. But um, is there any other tidbits I can give you? He said, everybody dies in our first issue, but we have to find out why. All right.
this article may talk about this series, but it also talks about, um, you know, his other time travel stories or looks into the past, right? So he said, I know what was coming. I wouldn't have eliminated Superboy. Um, talks about the next one being the time travel story and some Superman stuff. So yeah, there we go. The first three issues. I will definitely back and do more for you guys if you're liking them. Well, I'm doing them anyway, right? This, oh, oh yeah, I guess I should end it here. This is like, um, it's not exactly like The Watchmen, but it has a tone like this. But even though, and not to say that, because Watchmen has some bits that are reminiscent of the first 12 issues of the Alpha Flight. So it's not like they're not in the same wheelhouse. But this is going in reverse. So we're going to find out. I think he did it, uh, something like this similar for the last Superman Batman generation. So that's it. I don't think I have anything else to say about this. Mm, I told you about Marvel Time. in this thing. Oh yeah, I still got a little time. He said, um, going on the same thing. The negative reaction from some of the precincts of fandom was instant and loud. And as I noted, based entirely on not having read a word of the book, not a scrap of Marvel continuity was damaged by a lost generation. And indeed, some elements were even underlined and reinforced. The loudest complainers were those who insisted rationally there was no such thing as Marvel time. That everything happened in real time since we met the FF back in 1961. The most, of the, most of the vitriol was directed at me as a great destroyer. And there was assumptions on the parts of fans that they knew, knew the, MC, the Marvel Universe better than Roger and myself. Only to reveal their complaints the reverse. At the end, the series did uh, did well in sales, and I was discussing a spinoff with Ralph Macchio, the editor of Lost Generation, when the regime changed and the Hidden Years was canceled and I left Marvel. Spinarak out.